Already in the announcements, we have the privilege of hearing from uh, Hector Garcia this morning. And uh, for those who were not present in, uh, in our Sunday School Hour, Hector and I have known each other since the fall of 2005, uh, where uh, the two of us entered our seminary education together, he from Monterey, Mexico, and me from uh, New Hartford, Connecticut. And so our worlds uh, collided in God's good providence. And um, in those uh, days, we were janitors together, uh, cleaning the buildings. And um, it was a privilege to have him uh, and build a relationship with him. We used to go to lunch together. Uh, he was from Monterey, Mexico, so we would go to Taco Bell. And, uh, <laughs> and, and we would go to On the Border, too. And uh, he liked those restaurants, but he didn't consider it Mexican food. <laughs> but I did, you know, but that was, that was the, to the extent to which I enjoyed that. And then I said I uh, wanted to give him a cross-cultural experience, and so in uh, one, one Mother's Day weekend, I think it was, we took him to West Virginia, uh, where my wife's family is from. And so it was a privilege to, to get to know him and spend uh, time with him. Uh, so through the years, our paths have uh, not crossed uh, as frequently. I think you've been in uh, Zambia since 2012 or 13? 2012. And the Lord's doing a great work through, uh, through he and his wife and really using them to see people come to Christ. And so uh, we're privileged to have you here with us, Hector, and looking forward to hearing God's word this morning. Well, good morning again. Um, order, okay. <laughs> so I, I turned off my mic. Now it's on. Am I good now? There we go. You know, I did go to one time with him, and I won't tell you what happened after. <laughs> so, but I was not feeling so good. <laughs> so, um, you know, Taco Bell, oh, we were in seminary, so we were so broke that, you know, barely could afford anything. So they had those 75-cent tacos back then, you know. So I went, you know, occasionally to Taco Bell just because it was so cheap. I mean, four tacos and, you know, $3.00. So um, you can't beat that. And so one time I was in the drive-thru and there was this rat that came out of the kitchen. As the guy was taking out the trash, this humongous rat comes out of the kitchen following him. Don't take my trash, right? So um, anyway, uh, so I, I didn't go. You know, I was like, I'm poor, but I, I got to have some dignity, you know. So um, anyway, um, then I didn't go for like six months. Budget was tight, so I gave it another chance, and I was in the drive-thru again, and then the dumpster outside was full of rats, <laughs> and so I was like, man, I gave him Taco Bell a bad rap, right? But uh, anyway, I was like, well, that's it. I've never been back ever since. That was 2007, maybe, <laughs> 2008. So I, do, I did retain my dignity, so... <laughs> Anyway, um, I don't think the rats cared about that, or Taco Bell for that matter, right? <laughs> All right, so if you have your Bibles, please open them to uh, Matthew chapter 8. Yeah, it's a privilege to be here with you all and open God's Word um, and um, worship together as we preach and respond to, his, to the preaching of God's Word this morning. So I'm going to take you to Matthew chapter 8. In our church in Zambia, we've been preaching Matthew for probably the last three years. <laughs> so we're almost to the end. But um, um, So Matthew 8 was one of my most uh, uh, challenging passages, at least for me anyway. And so I'd like to share with you from Matthew chapter 8 and verse 18. So I would like to talk to you this morning um, from 18 to 22, the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. The cost of being a disciple of Jesus. Matthew 8. Matthew eight eighteen to 22. Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father, and Jesus said to him, follow me, leave, and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Oh, Father, I pray for your blessing. Um, we are dependent, and we recognize that. And I pray for the illuminating work of the Holy Spirit 
to speak to our hearts and minds, to understand the text, to apply the text to the glory of your name. Pray for words and for confidence in your work and in, your, in, in, in the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. And I pray that you would quicken our minds through the preaching of God's word in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Matthew has been... Um, so he writes this passage, his, his gospel, and, he, and, and, and so we have the Sermon on the Mount, right? Matthew 5 to 7, one of the greatest or the greatest sermon ever preached. And then after, and then after that, Jesus performs some miracles, right, in chapter 8. So he's performing some miracles, um, and he, is, uh, he cleanses a leopard, and then, you know, he heals many other people. Um, then he's about to perform uh, this great miracle of calming the storm, Right in the following section. So, but there's a parenthesis there. As Jesus finishes with all his teaching, right, and they realize that he has, he preaches as one with authority and not like the Pharisees, right? Um, so he's also performing all these miracles. So then everybody is so amazed at this great Lord, this great rabbi, this great teacher, right? He teaches with authority, not like those other guys. And he's actually, you know, he actually has power. You know, he's healing the sick, he's helping everyone, right? So this guy is great. And now Jesus has a huge crowd around him because he's been doing all this, right? And he's showing power. And so Matthew is going to make a parenthesis here. And he's going to show us what it means to be a real disciple of Jesus. Because the crowds are growing. And thousands of people are coming to see this Jesus, right? And they want to see what's going on. But Jesus is going to take time. And He's going to teach us what it means to really follow Him. To really be a disciple of Jesus. But what is a disciple? Before we get into the text, we've got to understand within the historical context what Jesus meant when He said, follow me. What Jesus meant when He said in Luke chapter 13, you can, 14, I'm sorry, you cannot be my disciple if you don't take your cross Right? If you don't die to self, you cannot be my disciple. So what Jesus has in mind, and, and what everybody heard was this. See, in the old times, there were no schools, like today. They didn't have schools. They didn't go you know, to a classroom and, and sat down and took notes and got textbooks and all that, and then went home. Um, so if you wanted to learn and be taught, you had to find a master, a rabbi. Right? And so you would actually... You'd be more like, you know, college shopping, right? You kind of look for, a, the, you know, the, the famous rabbi. You're looking for a rabbi, right? And you would, be, you would find a teacher, and if you wanted to train and learn under him, you would have to follow him. You would have to live with him. You would have to submit to him. You would have to accept his teaching. And your greatest aspiration was to become like your master, like your teacher. He would be your absolute authority. And you would have to follow him in everything. You would have to leave everyone behind and everything behind to live and to be and to follow your master. And so this is the context of discipleship. And no one could call himself a disciple and not follow the master. No one could call himself a disciple and not live like the master or learn the teachings of the master. A disciple had to leave everything behind, had to forsake everything to follow the master and to accept his teachings. And so this is a disciple in the times of Jesus. They had a different concept than we do. And that's why the betrayal of Judas is such a big deal. Because he had lived with him. He had accepted his teaching. So he, he was following him. He led people to Christ. So understanding the nature of discipleship is essential so that we understand what Jesus is about to say. And because to be a disciple meant that you would follow the master wherever he went, then it's so important what Jesus is going to say here. And so we see in this passage two men that claim that they will follow the master. And so Jesus will teach them about what it means to follow him as a disciple. And here's a big idea of the passage, if you will. Um, you know, in, in one sentence, a sermon would be this. Being a true disciple of Jesus means that you have counted the cost and you're willing to sacrifice everything to follow the master. Being a true disciple of Jesus means that you have counted the cost 
and you're willing to sacrifice everything to follow the master. And in this section, Matthew is going to bring out the necessity of wholeheartedness in following Jesus. Um, There were people who were apparently willing to follow him and recognize um, that his teaching was amazing and was great and he had power. But they were not prepared to make the sacrifices necessary to actually be a disciple of Christ. And Matthew leaves his readers with no doubt that Jesus demands wholehearted loyalty. So he leaves us no doubt. And he's going to show us that in this passage. So I have three small, uh, well, let me say, I have three points, okay? Uh, You know, there are two lies that pastors say, you know. I will be brief, and I'm almost done. So I'll avoid both of them. Um, so, um, all right. So I'm, gonna say, I'm not going to say those, but I will try, okay? <laughs> um, a true disciple of Jesus does not belong in the crowd of false followers. A true disciple does not belong in the crowd of false followers. That's the first one. A true disciple does not belong in the crowd of false followers. You know, Jesus has just performed these three amazing miracles. Okay? He's taught like they've never heard it before. They've never heard this kind of teaching. They thought, as long as I'm not doing this, as long as I'm, you know, I, I look like I'm fasting, uh, you know, I'm fasting for Jesus, as long as I'm not committing adultery, you know, as long as I'm not killing anyone, I'm good. But Jesus goes to the heart. They've never heard this teaching before. They never heard about the narrow gate and the narrow road. This is new to them. The Pharisees didn't teach like that and they recognized it. And Jesus says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't I do this for you? Didn't I do that for you? And he will say, I never knew you. And so Jesus is performing these amazing miracles, teaching these great great, uh, new teachings for them. And a crowd begins to form. There was already a crowd. And now it's growing larger and larger and larger. And most people are drawn by crowds. They're there to see what's going on. They don't have any, you know, they don't have any intention to follow, but they're, they're drawn by, crowd, by, by crowds. In, in Africa, this is very real. People like following crowds. Something happens. And everybody's there, right? It's like some of you, when you're driving down the interstate, there is a, an accident, right? Right? And then you got a lot of people stopping to see, slowing down. You know, it's the one time we slow down, right? Um, and so people like crowds, and they want to see what's going on. And so this is not the exception here with Jesus. Okay? So, um, so they want to benefit from the experience. They want to see what's going on. They're not there to follow Jesus. They want to see what's happening. They're amazed by the miracles. They're amazed by the teaching, but they're not following Jesus. In fact, in the Gospels, over 40 times we are told that Jesus had a crowd around him. In all the four Gospels. And his response to the crowds is varied. The great majority of times, he confronts the crowd. And he says to the crowd, repent. Follow me. If you don't do this, if you don't forsake your own life, you cannot be my disciple. So most of the time, Jesus confronts the crowd. And in verse 18, the Bible says, Now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. So there is a first thing. A disciple of Jesus does not belong in a crowd of false followers. So Jesus sees a crowd And he says to to whom? Look at verse 18. He gave orders to go to the other side to his disciples. They're the ones that go with him. Because we'll see that in verse 23. They're the ones with him in the boat. Okay? The crowd stays behind. They're not true followers. They're just a crowd. Jesus Jesus has his disciples. And his response to the crowd would vary from time to time. Most of the time he would confront the crowds. But on other occasions like this one, he leaves the crowds behind. And he just goes. In John chapter 6, he tells the crowds, You follow me only because you saw the feeding of the 5,000. 
You're following me because you want food. <clears throat> you know, it's common in Africa that a church sends somebody and, uh, you know, the, 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 they come for, a I don't know, a week or two and they have this crusade or this conference and thousands of people come because you gave food, you know. And thousands of people come, hundreds of people come, and then you're like preaching and, <clears throat> and who wants to accept Jesus, raise your hand. And in Africa, people love praying. They love praying. They can teach you how to pray, actually. You know, um, not real, but they, they know how to pray. They, they know really good phrases for prayers and all that. Prayers are a big deal because it comes from the animistic background. And the louder you pray, the more the gods hear you and the more the spirits hear you. And so <clears throat> they come and they come back to America and say, 400 people received the Lord last week. But there was just a crowd. I always told churches, you want to see a big crowd? Well, send me $4,000. I'll feed a lot of people. And I'll send you, you know, 5,000, you know, I'll, I'll report 5,000 people coming to Jesus. That's very easy. Because it's easy to gather a crowd. And so, a true disciple does not belong in the crowd. And so, when the Gospels speak of crowds, they usually speak of false followers. We know this because Jesus calls the crowd to become disciples or because He draws away from the crowds and He never ignores His own disciples. In Luke chapter 14, verse 25, the Bible says that great crowds accompanied Jesus. And He turned and, to them and said, If anyone wants to come, become my, no, if anyone comes to Me, and does not hate his father, mother, and, and brother, and sister, and wife, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And so, Jesus always has a crowd around him. And Jesus gives his disciples the orders to leave the crowds behind. So what's the problem with crowds, brother? What's the point here? In a crowd, you can just be one more face. You're just one more face. You can hide in a multitude. You don't have to be holy. You don't have to follow Jesus. You don't have to be committed. You just have to be there. You just have to pretend that you belong to the inner circle. You just have to be one more face. You can pretend on Sundays, right? I did that for many years. Went to church a young man. Finally, I realized I didn't know Jesus when I was in college. And I came to know Jesus truly. But I was always part of the crowd. And I was part of a committed crowd. I mean, I would go every Sunday. I liked going to church. I would sing. I would do. I would participate. But I didn't know Jesus. Now, when I worked at inner city at the school where Joy and I worked, uh, for five years I saw kids come to school. Some of them looked like very good kids. You know what the saddest things I saw is how many of them walked away from the faith, you know, when they grow older. How many are growing in Christian, growing up in Christian homes? And they're there every Sunday. And they look very nice with their tie and their shirt, you know. And they bring their Bibles. But there was just one more phase in the crowd. How many people live like that? I mean, Jesus had one among his twelve. He was so good at hiding in the multitude that when Jesus said in the Last Supper, one of you will betray me, no one said is Judas because he looked like a good disciple. He even said, "Whoever I'm going to dip the bread and whoever gets it, that's the one. And he gives it to Judas and he says, whatever you're going to do, do it now. And they're like, what is he talking about? Maybe he's talking about giving money to the poor. Or He just told you. He's the one that's going to go betray him. But they couldn't process that because he was a false disciple that looked like a real disciple. And you know what? One of the biggest things, I, I, truths in my mind when I came to Zambia, I, 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 I took one passage in my mind. 1 Corinthians 2, I decided to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified. And I never assume that people in the congregation are believers. In my congregation, we have a good 
you know, maybe 105 in the membership. But we have about 180 every Sunday. And lots of kids. Many, 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 many are not believers. And you cannot assume that everyone is a Christian just because they're there. I'm not saying that you're supposed to be the, you know, the, the salvation police. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Yeah. That's not your job, right? You preach the gospel, you confront the crowds, and it's the work of the Holy Spirit to regenerate. But you know what, brethren? A true believer does not belong to the crowd. In the crowd, you feel safe because you're just one more. In the crowd, you can just be one more face. You don't have to be holy. You don't have to be committed. You just have to be there for a couple hours on Sunday. But Jesus does not want a crowd. Jesus wants disciples. He would rather have one sold out, committed disciple that is following Him faithfully than a thousand people in a crowd that are unbelievers. And in a congregation this large, I'm sure there's more than one that has been coming or has come for a while but has never trusted in Jesus. And you know what? It has nothing to do with the preaching. Because Judas heard the best preacher in the history of humanity, right? And he never repented. So it has nothing to do with the preaching of your pastor or whoever preaches here. I'm sure it's faithful preaching. But we got to confront those who claim to be Christians. I have this problem in Zambia all the time. Anyone you ask, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian. Then they, come, they, sit, they sit in church, but as they're sitting listening to the preaching, they're, wear, they're wearing some witchcraft you know, beads or some witchcraft stuff to protect them from evil spirits, right? But the day before, they went to the witch doctor. And yet, they're following Jesus. And you know what? As Christians, sometimes we also act like part of the crowd, right? You are a believer, but uncommitted. You know, committed to just the things of the world. And the world has a big hold on you. And you grasp the things of the world with a tight grasp. And you don't want to let go. And church at times is more like an add-on. You know, something you do on Sundays. Then maybe you're living like one that, 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 that is in the crowd. And not like one of the disciples. And so a true disciple does not belong in a crowd of false followers. It's clear in this text. And if you're here this morning, if you don't know Jesus Christ, this is for you. Jesus does not want you on the other side, as it were. Because you're not committed. You're just one more face. So, number two. I move faster now. Um, number two, a true disciple is willing to sacrifice everything for Jesus. And trust in Him. A true disciple is willing to sacrifice everything for Jesus and trust in Him. Look at verse 19 and 20. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay His head. It was customary for the would-be disciple to pick a rabbi, to be his mentor. Almost like, you know, looking for universities, like I said. So here's a scribe that comes and says, I found my teacher. He thinks it's about glamour. He thinks following Jesus will be better for his career and fame. And so, who is a scribe? I mean, a scribe is the, one, the ones that knew the Bible better, right? They were educated. They were the scholars. Um, they knew the Old Testament so well. Many of them had memorized the entire Old Testament. So any rabbi would have been thrilled to have a student that was already a scribe. Most students actually were in training. And the rabbi would help them get there. And then they become scribes later on. But this guy is already a scribe. He's already a scholar. So we need to keep in mind that the man, you know, he, he seems very sincere. He calls him, um, you know, in verse, um, in verse 19, he says, teacher. He calls him rabbi, right? I will follow you. And so he seems to be sincere, but sincerity is not enough, right, to follow Jesus. 
it is clear that he has no idea what it means to follow Jesus. In fact, because of his response, because of Jesus' response to him, it, it, it seems to be clear that, um, that um, his intentions were not genuine. His sincerity was, he wanted to be with Jesus and go with Jesus, but his intentions were not genuine. He definitely thought of his own gain. Which is why Jesus tells him, the birds of the air have nests, nests and the foxes have holes, but I don't have a home. We don't know people's hearts, but based on Jesus' response, I think it's obvious that he, his intentions are not real. Or are not sincere, I should say. He is sincere, but his intentions are not. And he didn't have the right intentions. So, a hole is not something great, right? I mean, a nest, who wants to live in a hole, who wants to live in a nest? But it's more than what Jesus had in his itinerary, you know, preaching ministry. Um, and, you know, the discrepancies among con uh, commentaries, you know, commentators to see. And some say, well, Jesus did, ha did have a home in Capernaum, right? Or in Nazareth, or in this place. And some would say, well, Peter's home was Jesus' home also in Capernaum. That's not the point, right? The point is that as Jesus moved from village to village, he never had a home. And so Jesus never tells this guy, no, you cannot follow me. You can't be my follower. But he confronts the, the, the scribe with his intentions. And he explains to him in a couple of sentences what it means to follow him. In other words, if you are to follow me, Jesus says, you are to be willing to give up even the most essential things for the sake of the kingdom. The most essential things such as food, food and shelter. I don't have a home. Are you willing to follow me? Are you willing to sacrifice everything for me? Have you counted the cost? Are you willing to, to leave everything behind? And, and, and the scribe is most likely thinking of these things. You know, he's thinking of prestige. Okay? Most scribes were very educated. And they were teachers of the law. So, you know, he wanted to follow a unique rabbi. You know, Jesus had prestige. So if I follow this guy, I'll have more prestige. Uh, he wanted a good resume, right? Imagine what it would look like in his resume. Disciple of Jesus. The one that would cast out demons, right? And heal the sick and, and teach, not like the Pharisees. Looks good in his resume. Or position, right? He knew if I become a disciple of this rabbi, I'll go up the ranks immediately because these are a bunch of fishermen. They don't know what they're talking about. I'm already trained. I'll be the big disciple here. Now that's, that was common to fight for the highest honor among the disciples, which actually John and James do that, right? You remember that? And so, this man is not thinking sincerely to follow Jesus. He's a confused follower, the one that did not sit down to count the cost, therefore has no idea what it means to follow Jesus. He saw crowds, he saw miracles, he saw enthusiasm, and he thought it would be a good idea to be associated with the one that was in the center of all the action. He truly wanted to follow Jesus, but he failed to understand that Jesus was not like the other rabbis. That Jesus is not like a false religion, that you can just do a few rituals for your own benefit and your good. Jesus is not like that. He failed to understand what it means to follow Jesus, what it means to be a true disciple of the true master. He failed to understand four things. Self-denial, sacrifice, serving, and suffering. Listen again, four things. Self-denial, sacrifice, serving, and suffering. Those things are embedded in Jesus' response to Him. He did not want to deny Himself. He did not want to sacrifice. He did not want to serve. And He did not want to suffer. And at the end, it is very likely He didn't follow Jesus because of His response. But Matthew's point is not that. So, are you willing to sacrifice everything for Jesus? That's the point he's making. I don't have a home. The birds have a nest. The foxes have a hole. I don't have a home, said Jesus. Are you willing to follow me? He says that to him. And, this, it, and, and you know what, brethren? 
Jesus has not lowered the standard. We do, right? We lower the standard. But Jesus hasn't. Your life is His. Your house is His. Your cars are His. Your money is His. Your job is His. Everything you have is His. Have you laid it at the feet of Jesus? Or are there areas of your life that you hold on to? As long as you don't touch this, Jesus, you know. Oh, Jesus, yes, I love you, but I also worship the God of safety. No. Are we willing to sacrifice everything for Jesus? And when I talk to people, it seems like people think that missionaries, that's our responsibility for missionaries. Right? Well, they, yeah, Not all of us have to go. In fact, most of you won't be called to the mission field. And if you go and you're not called, then you're in trouble, right? Um, but it is, it's not, that's not what it means to be a missionary. That's what it means to be a Christian. To give up everything for Jesus. To sacrifice everything for Jesus. To understand that it belongs, that it all belongs to Jesus. In fact, Notice that he uses in verse 20, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In fact, this is the first time in the Gospels that the title, the Son of Man, is used. It's the first time. And it refers to the humanity of Jesus, which emphasized the dependence of Jesus on the Father. Jesus was dependent on God on, on the Father for the bare necessities of life. He always trusted the Father. And he's saying, I'm God in the flesh. And I prayed. I rested. I trusted the Father for my necessities. Yet you, his follower, think like you're in a different category, right? I can do it. I don't need, I have retirement, I have a good retirement. I mean, I got, you know, a nice house, I got everything I need, I got health, I got, you know, I live in the country where there's good health system and health care and all that, and I'm okay, I don't need Jesus. And he says, I'm the son of man who was dependent on the Father. And he left his glory to become a man. Everything you have and are belongs to him. Are you willing to lay it to Him? We're so obsessed with, we're so obsessed with making everything more and more comfortable. But Jesus was on a mission. He didn't have a home. He didn't have time for that. He didn't have time to, you know, um, to have a nicer car, to have nicer things all the time. Now I say this to my own shame. I think all of us struggle with, a, you know, the things of the world that we don't want to let go. And Jesus trusted in the Father. We're so busy building castles on the sand that someday we'll crumble. But Jesus calls us to deny ourselves and follow Him, to count the cost. Christian, are you not tired of dragging your spiritual feet? You know? Are you not tired of being like the scribe? The things that it should all be a bed of roses. It should all be a smooth path. It should all be nice and easy to follow Jesus. No sacrifice required. He's not counted the cost. And there are many people sitting in churches that think that it's all about punching in and punching out, you know, on Sunday morning. And they're all good and I'm following Jesus. No sacrifice required. In fact, Jesus died and we almost believe, you know, indirectly in a prosperity gospel. You know, more stuff, more comfort, less suffering. And um, we don't evangelize, we don't share the gospel with the lost. You know, so are we following Jesus or are we, are we like the scribe? Finally, it's another point here. So the first point was that a true disciple does not belong in the crowd of false followers. A true disciple, right? A true disciple does not belong in the crowd of false followers. And so we noticed that um, those who belong to Jesus are his disciples truly. And then um, in verse 19 and 20, we learn that a disciple is willing to sacrifice everything and leave everything for the cause of Christ. Okay? So 
the, 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 the scribe does not count the cost. He thinks it's easy, and he's not willing to sacrifice, right? And Jesus calls him to sacrificial life. Number three, a true disciple does not give any conditions, but follows immediately. A true disciple does not give Jesus any conditions, but follows him immediately. Look at verse 21 and 22. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. So here's a second person, a second would-be disciple. A man that gives Jesus a condition before he's able to follow him. In fact, this one seems more sincere. Look at verse 21. He says to him, Lord. He doesn't just say rabbi. He says Lord. So he is recognizing the lordship of Jesus, not just his teaching. And so Matthew refers to him as another one of the disciples. Um, This man evidently has been following Jesus in a general sense. So he's enthusiastic about what Jesus says and does. He has heard his teaching. He has seen his power. So he's sincere in his desire to follow Jesus. Therefore, in the wider sense, he is a disciple. In fact, the, the, Matthew uses the word disciple in different contexts. And he is, in the wider sense, a disciple. The one that has been around to see everything. But he is not in the intimate sense. In the ultimate sense, he's not a disciple. But he wants to become one. He wants to become a disciple. He wants a steady and he wants a steady commitment. And he wants to be part of the inner circle of Jesus. He's counted the cost. He says, I wanna I wanna get serious. I wanna follow him. I wanna go where he goes. I wanna be with him. So he comes and says, Lord, I'll follow you. Okay? But first, let me go bury my father. Right? There's a condition. Now, seems like, seems like a real legitimate thing, right? Jesus, I'll follow you, but... You know, I, heard, I read somewhere um, that when somebody gives you a lot of praise and tells you a lot of things, anything that comes before the but doesn't count. Okay? Anything that comes before the but is rubbish. Okay? So... I'll follow you, but give a, a condition to Jesus. So he does. Let me bury my father. And Jesus says, no, you let the dead bury their own dead. You come and follow me. Well, it seems like Jesus is a, a bit unsensitive here, right? Imagine you have Sunday school duty next, you know, it's Saturday. Saturday afternoon, you lose a close family member, your father, your mother, your son, your wife. And you call Pastor Joey and say, Pastor Joey, you know, my, my wife died today. Or my husband died today, or my father. I'm a Sunday school teacher tomorrow, so I won't be able to teach. And he said, are you kidding me? No, you committed. You're supposed to, right? Who is going to cover you? Now I got to preach. I can't cover for you. That'd be a bit unsensitive. And at first glance, that's what, it, that's what it seems like. But that's not what is happening here. Let's put it in a cultural context, okay? That's not what is happening here. When he says, bury my father, there are two options. Although I believe it's a combination of the two. So number one is that he wanted to take care of his father until he died. Most likely, this man was the oldest son of the family in and the oldest son of the family would take the, you know, the baton from the father and he would be the next leader of the, of the family. And he wanted to make sure that everything was, all the affairs were in order in the family. The whole family was in order before he could commit to leaving everyone and everything behind. So he says, Master, I will follow you, but first I got to take care of my father before he dies. Then he dies, I take care of the family, I leave people in charge, I leave everything organized and I come and follow you. But that could take years. He didn't know when his father would die. So he's saying, Jesus, I will. Just let me make sure everything in my family and in my life is okay and in order. Okay? The second option 
is he wanted to wait until he buried his father so he could receive the inheritance. It was customary for the firstborn to receive a double portion. And so he's basically saying, I will receive the inheritance and I will follow you. Wait, we need money for this mission. If you wait a few years until my father dies, then I will follow you. Once I get the money and things are safe and my future is secure financially, then I can get serious with you, Jesus. Does that sound familiar? I'll have financial security, then I'll follow you. And I'll get serious. First, I got to work hard. First, I got to get the money. My theory is a combination of both. He wants to set affairs in order in the family, and he wants to have security of money. That's what it means to bury your father. He's not ready to follow Jesus yet. But when the Lord calls you to follow him, there cannot be any conditions. You have to follow him immediately. In fact, uh, if you go with me to Luke chapter 5 very quickly. Luke chapter 5. Look at Luke chapter 5. Jesus calls Peter and um, a couple others here um, of his disciples. And in the context, they've been fishing all night. They've been fishing all night. They didn't catch anything. So Jesus shows up in the morning when they're putting the nets away. And he says, go back in the boat and cast the net. Right? And what do they say? Well, we've been fishing all night. And, you know, you know, in a hot place, it's fishing in the, morning, in the night is the best time to fish. So they're like, we're fishermen. If we didn't catch anything, we're not going to catch anything right now in the morning. Well, you're just a you know, carpenter. You don't know, right? Uh, we're fishermen our whole lives. So Jesus says, go ahead. And Peter reluctantly casts the net. So now look at, um, look at verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were, with, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching men. And when, when they had brought, look at this verse, when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is a different response. He calls them and they come to the shore with a bunch of fish. They've never caught anything like this. These boats were about 16 meters, 6 meters long, which is about 18 foot long boats. Full of fish. Never caught this much fish. They could have gone to the market and sell everything. Gotten money for the mission, right? But the Bible says they came ashore. And they left the boat, they left everything, and they followed him. Isn't that amazing? And this guy is saying, well, first, I'm going to make sure everything is safe. I'm going I'm to make sure my life is secure. Then I'll get serious with you, Jesus. So if we go back to Matthew um, 8, let me go. He says, Lord, let me go and bury my father. And Jesus says to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. The, the call of Jesus is to follow him now. No conditions. You must follow him immediately. You must follow Him passionately. You must follow Him selflessly. You must follow Him continuously. And you must follow Him permanently. There is no turning back. You have followed Jesus. You have crossed the bridge. And you have burned the bridge behind you. And you must follow Jesus permanently. That's the call of Jesus. No conditions. No delays. When the conqueror... Hernan Cortes came to Mexico from you know, Spain, where well, he had landed in Cuba and came to Mexico. He brought a few boats full of men with him to conquer, but many died in the journey. And now they're in a strange land. And first thing he did, he burned all the boats so that no one would look back. No one could go back. And you see, when you follow Jesus, you cross the bridge, and now you're with Jesus. And everything you are is His. Everything you have is His. We need to stop being so shallow, so superficial, so earthly-minded. We need to stop giving Jesus conditions like this man. Let me have everything figured out. What are we waiting for? 
I mean, some of you, Jesus has been doing some work in you. The Holy Spirit has been convicting you of late. And you know, you got to give up this, this, this area of your life. You got to be more serious about the, the walk with the Lord. You got to get more serious with God. And some of you have been convicted lately, but you're resisting because you got to let go and you got to give it to Jesus. And being a disciple of Jesus, following Jesus, means that we do what He says. And it may mean diff- something different for you and me. I mean, for me, sometimes it is to sacrifice a lot, even to put my life at risk. For you, might be, maybe you have a difficult marriage. And you ought to love your wife like Christ loved the church. And you have to love your husband and love him and submit to him, even though he's a very difficult person. But you get conditioned, oh, I'll get serious, Jesus, when my husband is actually good to me. Or when you change her. Oh, Jesus, I'll follow you when you give me health. Some of you are, you know, undergoing health issues. And you got to trust Jesus in the midst of it. I'll follow you when I'm okay, you know. Oh, Jesus, I'll follow you when you provide more for me because this job, you know, I mean, the economy and, and inflation and all this, I'll, I'll, get, I'll be more serious with my giving. Yeah, when I, when I you know, when I get more. And, and it means different things to everyone, but it's all the same to be a disciple of Christ. To get serious with Jesus, to give no conditions. You see, Jesus is not saying that he cannot bury his father, but that's not what he's asking. Jesus is talking about a person that is so concerned about the things of the world that he does not have time to serve the Lord. He's always busy with secondary things and is not ready to follow Jesus. Are you too busy to serve the the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Why do you think... He put you on this world to have a menial job from Monday through Friday, live the dream. Then you get to your late years and then what? hundred years from now, no one is even going to know that you existed. But God will. But the rewards are eternal for following Him. You might be wondering right now, okay, if you're like me, I'm, I'm very sinful, okay? Um, if you're like me, you're probably wondering, are you saying that it's wrong to have nice things? Are you saying that it's wrong to, have, to want to have a better job or to want a better house? Are you saying it's wrong to be comfortable? No, that's not what I'm saying. In fact, if you're already thinking of a but, right? It's because there's something in our hearts. I'm obviously not saying sell everything you have and, and become homeless and, you know, that's not what we're saying. But it's sometimes circumstances don't change. What changes is our hearts. Our attitude towards what I have. This is Jesus. If He says, give it to me, it's His. If He says, give me your life, it's His. If He says, give me your children, they're His. Are you, have you given it to Jesus? You remember, I mean, many people today say, it's my life. I can do whatever I want. Christian doesn't say it's my life. Christian says it's his life. He can do whatever he wants. See, the person that gives Jesus' condition is the one that wants to have everything figured out before he follows it. I want to follow you, Lord, but not now. And listen, some of you have been burying your metaphorical father for years. Some of you have been burying your father and he's not dead yet, <laughs> metaphorically speaking, right? So you tell Jesus, I want to, but not yet. Now, Jesus says, let the dead bury their dead, meaning let those who are dead spiritually worry about the things that are dead, but the things of the world. That's how he ends. But he ends with this great commandment. He says in verse 22. And Jesus said to him, follow me. And don't worry about the things that are dead. That's what Jesus is saying to you. Follow me. Follow me. Are you ready to follow him? Now, listen. 
What's the title of the message? Was the cost of being a disciple of Jesus. You know what it would cost you? It will cost you everything. Are you willing? It will cost you everything. It isn't a few hours here and there. It's not a few dollars that you have left over. It's your whole life. It's everything you are and own. It's His. Now, you notice the two men, right? Here's how we summarize them. One does not count the cost. He thinks it's easy. He thinks it's easy. And he thinks that it's all benefit for himself. So one didn't count the cost and therefore didn't have any idea what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus. He jumps in the deep end and he's drowning. But the other one does. He counts the cost and he realizes how hard it is and what it means that he needs to forsake everything. And he says to Jesus, I will but wait. Okay, you can have my life, but not this area, not this, not this, right? So there are two men, one that counts the cost, one that doesn't. But it's all the same. Neither one is ready. And maybe you're one of them. Or maybe you're one that belongs in the crowd of false followers. But Jesus wants you to follow Him today. Are you willing? Are you ready? Are you willing to count the cost and to give up everything for Jesus? It doesn't mean you have to go to Zambia and be a missionary. But maybe it means something else for you. What is it that Jesus wants you to surrender? What is it that Jesus wants you to do? Are you going to get serious with Jesus? Or will your life continue to be shallow? You know, in your Christian life. Hope this goes in our hearts and minds. Let's pray. Father, thank you for calling us out to follow you. Oh Lord, this is a very difficult passage not to understand but to apply because you are radical. The call of Jesus is radical. It's not superficial. We're so shallow-minded, Lord. But you're radical. And it seems very radical to call somebody like that in this passage. But you have not lowered the standard, Lord, for us. We have done it. But you have not. And I pray, Father, that you would help us follow you immediately, faithfully, permanently for the rest of our lives. That we would leave everything at your feet. And that the cross, we would cling to the cross and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen.